Welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Delapena, and on today's show, welcome Yasser Mohammed, the 19-year-old who made his T20i debut against Ireland in December in the two-match T20i series. Bowled so impressively that he's been included in USA's ODI squad for the eight matches that USA will play as part of back-to-back ODI tri-series in Texas from May 28th to June 15th against Scotland, the United Arab Emirates, Nepal, and Oman. It's a point of pride for me to have Yasser on the show because, like me, grew up in the Garden State, representing New Jersey on the international stage. It's a wonderful thing to see. So we'll talk to Yasser and get his story in cricket. But before we do that, I want to welcome the newest sponsor on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, Crickbuster. Based in Florida, Crickbuster is an ICC-designated official travel agent for the 2022 ICC Men's T20 World Cup in Australia coming up in this October. Crickbuster specializes in organizing all touring arrangements, in particular for tours involving India. You can go to Crickbuster and they'll set you up if you want to organize a tour to England this summer where India will be touring. India is also coming to the West Indies and the USA later in the summer and... T20 World Cup, that's the crown jewel later in the calendar year, so Crickbuster can set you up. If you're a cricket fan living in the USA and you need match tickets, flights, hotels, stadium tours, or you want to organize other sightseeing activities down under, Crickbuster is a one-stop shop. So by all means, if you're interested in any of those tours, visit crickbuster.com to begin planning your trip today. And I also want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket, is also sponsored by Moose Cricket Stadium, who will be hosting hosting the USA's ODI series again starting May 28th to June 15th all 12 ODIs we played at Moose Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas for more information visit www.moosestadium.com that's m o s a stadium.com the original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas and now soon to become the first ODI certified facility by the ICC in the state of Texas international cricket is coming to the Lone Star State and it's happening at Moose Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, I am joined by another Garden Stater, the pride of Old Bridge, New Jersey, Yasser Muhammad. Yasser, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. The first thing people are probably going to be curious about, who don't know that there's a hell of a lot of cricket in New Jersey, as we both do, how do you get into cricket growing up in New Jersey? I actually got into cricket from one of my cousins that actually live in New York. He was a really big cricket fanatic. He just loves the game. And I went over his house one day and he has nets in his own backyard. And he wanted me to just go in, just like, you know, just hit some. And he ended up teaching me like a straight drive, like teaching me like how to properly pray. From there, he told my dad to put me into a coaching academy because I was picking up the game really quick. And then from there, I joined uh, Crick Max. And then it's been going since. You're somebody who has been on the radar for quite a while, several years ago when Kubadu Desanayaka was still the head coach of the USA team. And I asked him if he had anybody who he thought was a good prospect coming up the pipeline in terms of junior players. He never hesitated to say your name. And he is somebody who spent an awful lot of time working on the East Coast. He would commute. If there's such a thing as commuting between Toronto and New Jersey, 
he would do that to spend some time coaching with the guys in the area, whether it was at Crickmax or any of the other academies. And you were a part of that. So you've been on the scene in New Jersey for some time, but you've only started to really emerge in the last year or so with what's happened in terms of the under-19 national championships and then the men's national championships and getting the opportunity against Ireland. So a lot of this has happened quite quickly, getting your debut and getting a chance to play against Ireland when you weren't even in the squad. So take us to that for a minute. You're at home. All of a sudden, the news comes out that a lot of the guys get COVID. Where are you? What's happening when all of a sudden you get contacted and by who to let you know, hey, can you get on a plane in the next couple of hours to come on down to Florida? I was actually right here. I was actually getting on, like, just playing with my friends, just gaming with my friends. And then I got a call from Coach Jack. And then he explained me everything and asked me if I'm available. And I said, of course. And then he just went from there and went straight to my dad, told him some great news, and he was proud of me. Take us a bit more through that whirlwind. You go from, you, you say, you're sitting in your home, you're sitting in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you get the call when you get the call even though jack is calling you jay rune kumar the usa coach is telling you we need you to come on down because we need some reinforcements at that point in time were you reasonably expecting that you might get a chance to play or are you just thinking oh they need somebody to make sure there's enough warm bodies and 11 players who are going to be on the bench to pick from and if i get a game so be it but i'm just there to soak in the experience or did you actually think hey they're actually going to put me straight into the 11 no um this was actually post u.s open so u.s open went really well for me and coming back when i got the call i wasn't really expecting to actually going straight in the 11 like you said i was just expecting to stay there stay in like the bench like you know learn some experience get some like time with the players I, didn't, I was not expecting to be straight going into 11 and playing. Not at all. It was just very shocking. So then take us through the day itself. When did you find out that you were going to be playing? Was it earlier that day or the night before? Or how much time did you have to kind of mentally prepare and wrap your head around the fact that you were going to be taking the field to not just debut for USA, but to debut against a test nation in Ireland? I'm pretty sure I was told the night before by the skipper and coach Jack that like oh be ready just stay prepared they told me be ready to like to play so no one told me like oh you're coming just stay bench they always told me to stay ready stay prepared so mentally yeah I was always telling myself just take it easy stay calm look forward to keep playing what was that night's sleep like if you got any for me when I'm nervous I I do not get sleep at night (laughs) I'll be up all night overthinking about it and everything especially like even like in under 19s or anything else or any other like camp or anything I'll get like no sleep because of that so I'm a guy that just overthinks everything about it but I was able to calm myself down a bit and then just process it just trying to get in the moment and then I was I was going good did it help at all the fact that the game was an afternoon game instead of having an early start you had some time even if you couldn't sleep at night that the match wasn't starting until the afternoon, so you had some chance to recover in the event that you weren't able to get as much sleep as you wanted. Yeah, I definitely I definitely got my sleep back up. Woke up a little late, but it was good. How much of a factor in terms of your level of comfort and your ability to relax beyond that was the fact that not just you were there, 
potentially making your debut, but you also had a lot of the other guys who were called in as late reinforcements were a lot of your friends and teammates through the under-19 scene, whether it was Ritwick Behera, who also debuted in the series. You also had Ali Sheikh come down there. You had some other guys who were part of the USA under-19 squad. Rahul Jarawal was supposed to, but unfortunately the ODIs were canceled. But the fact that it, you weren't there kind of on an island per se. Yeah, I wasn't alone. You were there with guys who were going through a similar thing that you were experiencing and you could identify with them. How much did that influence your ability to calm down and perform the way you did? Well, it really helped a lot seeing all my 19 buddies with me. Uh, we would always talk about it. We would all just calm each other down, like, you know, giving each other motivation, just motivating each other. They all were like really like motivating and everything. So it was really nice. Take me through the match experience itself, starting from the national anthem going out, lining up for that, and getting out into the field. Before you got a chance to bowl, I believe you took a catch on the boundary. So you were in the game a little bit and got a chance to contribute in that sense. Take me through the whole experience, like I said, from the toss, national anthems, all the way through to your bowling spell, which was quite significant in the victory for USA over Ireland on the first match. It all started from walking in on the field, just warming up, to be honest, going in, warming up seeing all the fans in the audience, it was pretty nerve wracking. And I couldn't really believe like I was in the moment, especially in the national anthem, where I was just in shock, where like I couldn't believe anything. I'm like, is this really happening? Like what's going on? And then when the match started, I remember the ball just kept chasing me from mid off to covers to, to even when I was at deep square leg and the ball just kept coming to me. And then I like, I was nervous at first, and then I got a little used to it. I was I was going easy, and then I, I took a catch at deep square off Ali Khan's bowling, and then I got a little settled. I was going good, and then I was coming on to ball. I was nervous, yeah. I kept telling myself, yo, I'm not nervous, I'm not nervous. The player, especially the players around me, the other 10 were all telling me, just stay calm, just stay calm. You'll be all right. And it was nervous. My first and second over were a bit shaky, I believe. And then after I got a bit settled, calmed down in the moment, I, bought, I think I came back pretty strong. Well, I'll be honest. I was in the commentary booth during the match. I spent part of the time on the field taking pictures on the boundary. And I, I saw you on the boundary a number of occasions. And yeah, the ball was following you around. And you were having to put in a lot of effort going from side to side, cutting off twos and preventing boundaries and all that. But I was in the commentary booth for the final sequence of the match. And I did not think you would be brought back to bowl at all. I was advocating in fact for Ritwick to bowl because I mm -hmm. thought bowling a leg spinner in that situation was risky from the standpoint, if you're bowling loose deliveries, you could take wickets, but at mm -hmm. that stage wickets, I didn't think were priority. I thought keeping the run rate down was the priority and they already needed 15 and over. So you didn't really need to buy wickets in that sense. And I thought, if you had to choose between Ritwick as an off spinner with a bit more control versus Yasser Muhammad, I don't know if I would take Yasser as much as I want a guy from New Jersey bowling for USA. But you proved me wrong. You come back for a three over spell at the end, you bowl 16, 18, and 20. You give away six runs in the 16th, five runs in the 18th. And then with 40 needed off the last over, the match was done with, you gave away 13 runs, including last ball six, which was inconsequential. But those 16th and 18th overs in particular were 
very, very impressive for somebody who's on their debut. Again, as I said, it's not just a debut against another associate team. It's a debut against Ireland, Test Nation. After that first over, you said you, you felt a little bit shaky. What allowed you to come back in the manner that you did to bowl the way that you did in such a pressure-filled situation? After that first over, when they took me off a bit, I think that was a great decision by the captain. I think I had a, enough time to go back and rethink what I was doing, but I was rushing myself and I was able to like calm myself down. I had the players also in the deep or that were giving water out. They're also giving me good tips, just stay calm and come back strong. And that's exactly what happened. You bowled in the power play. You bowled the last over the power play facing Curtis Camfer and Laura Kentucker at the time. It was 42 for two. You gave away 12 runs, including a boundary in that sixth over during the power play. Did you feel like when you were taken off, you were actually going to be given a chance to come back and bowl later in the game, considering the wide array of bowling options, especially spin bowling options that USA has at their disposal? And what kind of conversations were you having with other senior players and or the captain on the field that gave you any indication that you needed to keep yourself engaged mentally from the standpoint that you would be needed later on to bowl? No, right after um, they took me off, Monarch and all the other players told me, like, don't worry, you're going to be brought on. We need you to come back stronger. We're going to need you. Like, they're going to need to use me. So they told me to just stay in the game, just keep doing what you're doing, and just remember you're going to come back. So that, like, I was told that I was going to come back. Though. And you did, and you bowled exceptionally well and helped clinch a USA victory on paper. Figures of none for 35 might look not so special, but in the context of the game, it was a very special spell that you bowled in a situation where Ireland could very easily have come back late in the game there. And in the end, USA clinched a 26-run victory. You come back a day later, and USA loses by nine runs, but arguably you had a better day with the ball, at least statistically, two for 32. You took the wickets of Curtis Camfer and Simi Singh. So Curtis Camfer, your first international wicket, caught by Marty Kane. Take me through that moment. Ball came in my hands, saw him chip down, trying to, I think it was a slog sweep or something, got a leaning edge or something. Went to long off, or no, long on. Bowing up in the air, I yelled out, catch it. Saw Marty Kane under. I know he's a good fielder. He was really confident in the wicket. He went down, take a nice diving catch. It was a great moment. I was really happy. Everything was going really well. So that moment was really a really precious moment. Now, on short notice, I can't imagine your dad was able to come down with you. No, he didn't come. Because, like, the whole COVID situation, and he also had to work and stuff, so he, didn't, he wasn't able to come. But he, so, they're all family, and everyone was all watching, though, live. Everybody was watching the stream. So nobody came down to Florida, but they were all watching the stream. Yeah. So the first night and then fall on the first night after the victory, the second game, getting your first wickets, what were the initial conversations you had, whether it was with your older brother or your dad or anybody else in your family and their reactions sharing the moment with you? Everyone was just really proud of me. They were all giving me such great support and just telling me to keep going and good luck for the rest of the games. So I want to talk a little bit more about your dad. Your dad is a very, very important figure in life. I've talked to him on a number of occasions uh, when I've come across him and met him at various events, whether it's in New Jersey or in Texas or elsewhere. And for people who don't know, 
uh, your mother passed away when you were younger. You're raised by a single dad and he works full time, but yet he still finds a way to get you to all these cricket events, whether it was on the junior scene, taking you to tournaments around the country. So tell us a little bit about that journey, if you can, the role that your dad has played in your life to help encourage your cricket journey in some circumstances that obviously are very challenging. My dad's always been very supportive. Can't thank him enough for everything he's done for me. Always taking me practices and past like three, four years, always giving me throwdowns, always putting his sweat and doing the most for me. And yeah, been, he's just great support, always supported me and everything. How old were you when your mother passed away? I was 16 years old. Okay. 15 and I turned 16 like next month. What kind of role did she have in your cricket journey? My mother, she really supported my cricket career. She always told me that you're going to make it big one day keep going she never like doubted me in any way she always used to take me to my practices also she used to come to my games um she was very also very supportive she really she really said she made, she made a big impact on me what is it like for you to be able to honor your mother and also just continue to reward the faith that your your dad and your brother and everybody else in your family has shown in you Ever since then, um, our family just honestly just became even more close. We all just keep supporting each other. We always have each other's back and everything. And with cricket, I know everyone has me in their prayers and everything just because of my mom and everyone. And everyone's very supportive. We got really strong. I talked with Hayden Walsh a couple of years ago. One of the first interviews I did with him, his, his father passed away when he was a teenager. And my, my own father, he passed away when I was 20. My father died of a heart attack. So I, I had a long conversation with Hayden Walsh about this and, and connected with him on some level. And in my experience, at the time, I was heavily involved in tennis. And a lot of people were like, oh, you know, are, are you okay? Like, you know, you don't need to come back. You know, it's okay. You know, yes. take your time, take your time. And I was like, no, I want to get back and, and play like ASAP because... I need to get my mind off this stuff. Everybody's just walking around feeling sorry for me. Mm. And I'm sick of all these people looking at me with pity where I just want to, I would just want to do what I love and playing tennis or playing any other sport for that matter is going to take my mind off this. And I'm not going to have to think about this and feel sorry for myself or have other people feel sorry for me. And when I talked to Aiden Walsh, he had a similar experience where he said cricket was his escape. He had this. I agree. Yeah catastrophic event that happened and yeah it was devastating and he was brokenhearted because his dad was his biggest supporter his dad was his coach his dad was a former first class player and heavily influential with cricket and it was a case of well I don't want to sit around and sulk mm -hmm. I just want to play cricket because that's what my dad wants me to do and if I go to play cricket it was a case of he felt like he was honoring his dad rather than be thinking about, oh, what, you know, what are you doing? Why aren't you helping prepare for the funeral or whatever? Like, you know, stop cricket for a minute. And he was like, no, cricket is going to help me not be sad. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, what kind of role did cricket play in helping you move past some of the sadness and your mom's passing? Well, um, cricket definitely did have a big escape in that from everyone's like 
so everyone in my family actually really supported that decision of like going with cricket, doing it well, and don't really have much to say on that part. So let me ask you just in general about your youth growing up. Cricket uh, is your main sport, your priority sport, but growing up in New Jersey, especially in Edison, there's a hell of a lot of other sports that you're surrounded by and a lot of elite competition. So for you growing up, was cricket your first love or did you have some other sports that you played that really caught your attention initially before you said you had this experience in New York with your cousin? I actually used to be really involved in football and we used to play a lot, not like anything like competitive. Like we used to have like a little field in the backyard where all of the neighbors and everyone, all the kids used to come out and we used to play football. I used to be like pretty decent at it in their view. So they always used to tell me, oh, you should put a go in a team and all this stuff. But my mom and my dad never really wanted me to go into that really, really high physical like type of sport. They were always worried I was going to get hurt. So I never really got to be a, go on a football team. But when I went to that whole situation, when I went to New York and that happened, it all worked out pretty well. You were playing like just backyard football type stuff. You know, backyard. you were never in like Pop Warner. No, 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 never. Just backyard football. If you had a position that you could play, what, what, would you, what, was, what was your preferred position? Wide receiver. Wide receiver. Okay. Now um, I'm looking in the background there. I'm a little bit gutted because uh, you've got a Jets flag over your shoulder. That That's not me. That's my, my older brother. <laughs> like, no, I'm not associated with the Jets. I would never be a Jets fan. No, my, my older brother is just a huge Jets fan. So please tell me you're a Giants fan. Uh, not really a Giants fan. Are you going to say the Eagles? Uh-oh. No. Re- yeah, I, I am technically a Jets fan. But from my family point of view, yeah, I'm technically a Jets fan. But I'd say th- I like the Chiefs. Only because of Mahomes. Oh, geez. We got a <laughs> bandwagon jumper. I yeah, know. I guess you can call me that. You can call the me only that. thing worse than being a Jets fan is being a bandwagon jumping fan for the Chiefs. Yeah, I guess. But I guess when, when you weigh the two up, the Jets or the Chiefs, it's it's the lesser of two evils. I wouldn't want to be a Jets fan if I were you, yeah. so I, I can understand why you'd be. Hey, I heard, I heard they got good draft picks this year, so that's what my brother was telling me. Got some sauce guy and all these people. So that's right. They got sauce. Sauce from uh, Cincinnati. He's gonna be the elite next elite defensive back in the yeah. NFL, apparently. So we'll see how that shakes up. But yeah, they they did arguably get. You're a Giants fan, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big big time Giants fan. I, I grew up. Our family had season tickets going back to 1960 in Yankee Stadium. And then um, we finally gave him up when they moved into MetLife Stadium. So, so you're you are a football fan growing up in New Jersey. Not a huge football fan, but yeah. So, if like, not cricket, what would you say is your your favorite sport? Football. Yeah, that's a football. You follow college football at all? No, no, not college football at all. No. Just just the pros. <laughs> yeah, no, just the pros. I know. I know. Rutgers over here has had a pretty good season. I think for football. Rutgers. Well, now that yeah, they got Greg Schiano back. It was yeah. in the 2000s. That was their greatest ever era, the Greg Schiano era. And then he left for the Buccaneers and bounced around a bit. And now he's, he's come back. They wore yeah. him back. But, um, yeah, when I was growing up in New Jersey, Rutgers was a laughing stock. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought so, too, until I saw, like, oh, like they're doing pretty good. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. 
yeah, growing up in New Jersey, Rutgers, I think, was one of the few state universities in America where the people who are from New Jersey do not want to be associated with mm-hmm. Rutgers at the state university. <laughs> if, you, if you grow up in Ohio, you want to go to Ohio State. If you grow up in Michigan, you want to go to Michigan. If you grow up in Texas, you want to go to UT Austin, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. If you grow up in New Jersey, not everybody's chomping at the bit to go to Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Very true. So take me through getting into cricket on the junior scene. So you had this support that grew out of this interaction with your cousin in New York. At what stage did cricket go from being just a fun recreational thing to something you were taking seriously and thought, hey, maybe one day I could pursue the national team and have a crack at being a professional? I think the biggest moment was while I was at CrickMax and when Coach Pubudu came in. And when he saw me and he told me, or basically just asked my coach, um, who is this kid? And like, he wanted to talk to me. And when he started talking to me, he like was telling me about like, oh, you should really focus on your game and all this. Like he was giving me basically like motivational tips and everything. And I think that moment when coach Pubudu really saw me and started talking to me was where it gave me confidence. We're like, oh, I'm gonna take this seriously now. This is where I'm gonna go. How old are you when that happened? I think I was around 15, 16, some age around there. I have a really bad memory. Well, Pubidu left the USA role in 2019. So it would have been, what, 2017, 2018? Yes, 17, 18. So it was more like four or five years ago. Yeah, so I was, yeah, I was about 15, 16, yeah. What specifically just about that changed your philosophy in terms of how you were approaching your cricket at that point in time? Well, it just gave me hunger to always just do well in my games and everything and take practices a lot more seriously, try to go in games and just do the best I can. Because while going in, I used to have like these big players, Xavier Marshall and over here, Jesse Singh on the East Coast. And from New York, there's a lot of other people that I was big player, like USA players that I used to see around and I used to like push myself like oh, I'm going to be playing where they are right now. So that's what really pushed me. Having guys like that around, whether it's at Crick Max or just league fixtures, if you're playing in Cricket League, New Jersey, you're playing other league fixtures, Millennium Cricket League, anything else that would be in New York, New Jersey area. And being able to compete, whether in net sessions or in actual match situations against these guys and be able to measure yourself against them and see where you stood compared to where they were. What kind of indications did you get that gave you the sense that well actually maybe I'm not that far off and I just need to go a little bit more in this direction I could be closing the gap to one day get to the same level as them and be playing on the same field as them well mostly playing along like these big players for example when I was in U.S. Open I think it was two years ago where Andre Russell and all these guys came Shafane Rutherford also with Cavaliers where I'd be bowling to them and they'd be telling me to keep working on myself. You're not, they literally would tell me you're not too far. Like keep working on yourself. And so these guys, sorry, these guys were your teammates on Somerset Cavaliers. Yeah. So you were on the same team as Andre Russell and Mm -hmm. the same team as Shafane Rutherford. Yeah. And Rusty Tron, was he on the same team as well? Yeah. Rusty also. Rusty Tron also. So you're getting a chance to bowl with these guys in practice situations and they're on the field with you as teammates being able to see you up close to analyze how you're doing from their positions on the field what kind of feedback were they giving you 
they're always giving me really good feedback. They always tell me to just keep working, giving me practice tips, most mostly mentally. For example, if I'm bowling to someone, how to pick like their brains out, like what they're doing next. They were helping me a lot from a mental point of view, not just like practicing and physical point of view. Take us through what it's like bowling to Andre Russell. I was just, if I'm being honest, my first like three, four balls, I was kind of nervous. He was going to hit it straight back to me <laughs> because it was like a net situation. It was like outdoors. I didn't want him to just like come right back at me because he has pretty good power. But uh, from the turf, bowling googlies, it was, he was, it was a little, he wasn't picking it as much. So that's when he was like really giving me like tips when I started bowling to him. What kind of tips? Like speed like what type of speed I'm supposed to pull and what pitches and um, what lengths I'm supposed to be coming in. Or if I need to save runs, I can always make a batsman cut, keep the fielders where I want. Basically giving me like good fielding and like game tips. This episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now the first ODI accredited venue in the Lone Star State, located at 5515 McKeever Road, County Road 100 in Pearland. Five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288, a half hour south of downtown Houston, Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. Musa also has two nursery grounds on the north side of the stadium boundary available for use. For more information, visit www.musastadium.com. That's M-O-O-S-A stadium.com. Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. The Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is also sponsored by Crickbuster. Based in Florida, Crickbuster is an ICC-designated official travel agent for the 2022 ICC Men's T20 World Cup in Australia. If you're a cricket fan living in the USA and you need match tickets, flights, hotels, stadium tours, or want to organize other sightseeing activities down under this October, Crickbuster is a one-stop shop for all of your touring needs. Visit www.crickbuster.com to begin planning your trip today. It's really interesting to hear you talk about that because a lot of the times when people discuss the impact and the influence of elite players who are exposed to the U.S. cricket scene and the impact and the influence that has, it oftentimes focuses on just getting a chance to bowl against them or bat against them in the on-field competition, but not as much attention or discussion is paid to the influence of the interactions that take place in a change room or off the field. And like you talked about, the mental side of things and the strategic elements and how to adjust your mentality with regards to how you approach a certain player when you're bowling to them or how to approach a certain bowler if you're batting and there's a field set a certain way and what to expect and and how to manipulate your guard or your shot selection and all that and it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about that when you had these opportunities at the u.s open with somerset Cavaliers, were you expecting that those kind of things would happen with regards to getting a chance not just to kind of soak up the batting and bowling that somebody like andre russell does up close and personal but the fact that you would get the chance to actually pick his brain and have a discussion with him or discussions plural and have these kind of interactions where you could have meaningful discussions about strategy elements and how that would alter your ability to bowl not just within the tournament itself but further on down the road in your development I feel like for me when I knew these players that are coming in especially like with anyone if I see any like player that has a higher level or like anything 
I would always go and try to talk to them and try to see their point, especially mentally, uh, because I feel like there's a big difference between a stage mentally in like our local leagues and then coming into the high level. Cause I think that's the, that's the biggest part to be honest. And whenever I like see any, like, for example, when I joined in the USA, like I always talk to them trying to see like what's going on. And they all, they always like made me feel welcome whenever I would come up to talk to them. They'd always welcome for me to talk to them. They were always like want to talk to me. So that's, that was a good thing about that. They weren't big timing you. They weren't going, yeah, ah. This- no one has ever big timed me like that. No, they'd always like, yeah, they'd come talk to me. If you need anything else or if you need any other tips, let me know. Everyone was always welcome. With me. So that was really good. Does that surprise you? Just that from the standpoint that whether it happens or not, there might be this stereotype that guys from test nations or from bigger countries might have this aura of being unapproachable or not really willing to help out as much with players from associate nations. But what you're saying is the exact opposite of that. Did that surprise you at all? At first, I think my first one was Andre Russell. I thought Andre Russell wasn't going to be like really that approachable. at, But like once I saw the other players that I'm like comfortable with that were also talking to him, I would also like move myself in with them and then try and get conversations with them and everything. So it was surprising. Yeah. Having gone through those experiences, now what happens with you when you go back to league level, you said one of the things you touched on there was it's a big step up trying to adjust mentally from the approach that happens at club level and league level, especially in a place like New Jersey, where there's no turf wickets and the standard of the facilities itself often rubs off on the attitudes and the mentalities of how players approach games when they're not playing on high-class facilities and kind of the approaches might be lacking at times that spreads into other elements of the game, whether it's something as simple as just showing up on time for a, a Sunday league match or attitudes towards training sessions in the midweek if they happen at all at certain clubs. I know that's not necessarily the case with Somerset Cavaliers, but it can happen on the other side of the field. And that, and that might at times be detrimental in terms of how that can influence somebody. So in that regard, when you see somebody like Andre Russell or anybody else for that matter, who would have been involved with that event or Rusty Tron or Jesse Singh is a USA teammate of yours now and Rusty as well. And the way they approach and the fact that they're doing certain things consistently, whether it's for USA or Somerset Cavaliers or anything else, how does that then change the way you approach things, if at all, when you're with Somerset Cavaliers at a league match versus a US Open match or any other match for that matter? It's more coming back with discipline, having discipline, like, like you said, um, going back, coming back on time, going and warming up properly, being in the right mental state before the game. And especially in practices, having like a like a plan, like a good mental where you're in a good mental state where like every ball is a focus, like you're in a match situation and things like those. Now, you're somebody who through the course of this discussion, you can see that you think an awful lot about your cricket. You put a lot of time and energy into it. So what for you is the most fun part of being on a cricket field? Playing against and with my friends. Those are like the best things that can ever happen. So, for example, nationals. Nationals was probably the most fun tournament that I ever had in my cricket career as of now. Men's yeah. nationals or under nineteen nationals? Nationals. Under nineteen. 
So when you're getting on the field and you say you enjoy playing with and against your friends, if you're playing against some of your friends, are you talking smack to them? What's what's the conversation like on the field? And like being as competitive as possible, always. So what's what's your go-to talking smack line? Let's hear it. My go-to talking smack. I don't know. I can't just say that out of nowhere. Uh, you got to keep some trade secrets. You got to keep some things close, close to the vest. Yeah, I, I don't know. Are you like super intense when you get on the field and, and you're just going o- over the top or are you keeping it a little bit mild or what's going on? Before I used to go over the top before, like um, I think two, three years back, I used to go over the top a lot with like all this sledging stuff. But then I cool myself down a little bit. I'm like in the middle now. <laughs> I was going to say, because when I've observed you at these events on the boundary, you're, you seem pretty chilled out. I don't see this uh, like over the top coming off the top ropes, flying elbow drop uh, kind of mentality of, oh, I'm just going to all out attack and no mercy and all that. You, you seem like you want to win, mm-hmm. but you've got a smile on your face. You're, you're, you're having fun. You're pretty chilled out. You look like more than anything, you're there to have fun. And that's what stands out to, about you when I see you on the field. I feel like when I'm having fun is where I'm, I'm doing my best, if I'm being honest with myself. That's why I think in nationals, when I took four wickets against Southeast, it was Rahman's team, the Dallas team. Southwest. Southwest, yeah. When we played against Southwest, I think I performed really well because we were just having fun. Like, I knew I'm playing against the team, uh, my um my fellow teammates and I had to make it really competitive. So I like, I knew. Now you're being picked for USA at the moment, called into the senior team primarily for your leg spin. But mm-hmm. when you were at under 19 nationals and when I've heard and seen you coming up through the junior scene, it's been more as a batter primarily. And you played some innings at the under nine tournament in particular, which stood out to me because of your adventurousness, if I had to pick a word for it. You're somebody who, when I analyze USA players at the senior level, one of the things that stands out about their approach over the course of the years is a lack of creativity. And one of the things that USA players really struggle with compared to a lot of associate batters across the world and some of the lower tierful members like in Ireland or some of those kind of countries, Afghanistan, is the inability for USA players to play spin and specifically sweep and reverse sweep. And one of the things I enjoy most about watching you bat, you're not afraid to pull out the reverse sweep from ball one. No. You just go for it. Yeah. So, so take us through, I mean, where does that mentality come from, this kind of inventiveness and this adventurousness? I don't really know how to explain the adventurous point of view, but I'm a type of person when I'm going on a bat, I'm trying to go with like no pressure at all. So if I, for example, if I'm coming in and hitting the ball straight out of the middle from ball one, I feel like the ball is going to be a lot and under pressure. Or if I hit it like a creative shot, for example, third man's in no deep point or anything and a spinner is bowling way outside off, I can pull out the reverse sweep and then they'll be worried and then have it in the back of the head where, oh, this kid has a reverse sweep. So I can't ball too wide to him. So I feel like when I pull out the reverse sweep, I'll think about it before and then I'll do it. But I'll always have like a reason of why I'll pull it out or anything. Specifically, where does that shot come from in your arsenal? Is it something that you've consistently practiced over the course of years? Or is it something that's only recently come about where you thought, hey, there's there's some people on TV who are doing this and I think I'd like to try it out. Um, the first time I ever saw 
a reverse sweep or a switch hit. I think it was by Sunny Sohail in uh, one of our USA combines. And I was actually fielding at D point when he did that. And he switch hit it right over above my head. And then ever since I was like, I want to play that shot. So I would go in the nets and then practice it. And then I wouldn't be like too bad at it. I would connect some. And that's when I started working on it with Coach Puburu. And Coach Puburu also, we always, like we used to do like 500 sweeps a day, like 500 plus sweeps. We used to do, we work on sweeps a lot. So sweeping and then reverse sweeping and then also switch hitting. So Coach Puburu definitely helped me with my sweeps a lot. Who's got a better reverse sweep, you or Nostich Kenjige? Me. <laughs> Challenge has been thrown down and Nosh, get in line, get behind you, Oster. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I like that's it. Are we No, it's something that it's turned into a, a go-to shot now. It's hard yeah. to have a roster where you don't have players who can execute that shot. You look at a, a team like Scotland who's coming up in the mm -hmm. series in Texas, and George Munsey has got a, an incredible reputation around the world at T20 World Cup and elsewhere where he plays the reverse, he plays the switch hit. I think arguably the shot of the tournament in uh, – Dubai was came in the group stage. I, I can't remember which board was against, but um, he pulled it out and nailed it over point for six. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, damn. And he scores probably at least 20% of his runs off that shot. That's a bread and butter shot for him. And it, for him, it's just a simple calculation. If he sees no protection on the offside boundary, if he sees there's no point sweeper, if he sees third man up in the ring if he sees a backward point up in the ring and he sees no protection on the boundary behind square on the offside that's a high percentage shot in his eyes as far as he's concerned all he has to do is beat the two fielders in the ring a backward point and short third man boom automatic four he doesn't have to do anything special as a result of that it's turned into a, a very profitable shot and that you see a lot of other players on the associate team play it Nitish Kumar He's had a lengthy career for Canada and now potentially is going to be on the USA radar now based in Texas with a major league cricket contract. He's somebody who, again, he's played that shot an awful lot for Canada and he's scored an awful lot of runs off it. And it's something that unfortunately for USA, we haven't really seen much of, but now that Yasser Muhammad is in the team, that could change. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Coming up through junior cricket, have you always seen yourself as more of a batter or more of a bowler? Junior cricket, definitely more as a batsman. I would be mostly dominating in the batting department. And that's not unusual. We've seen a lot of players over the years for USA have that happen. In particular, somebody who comes to my mind is Muhammad Gauss, former USA men's captain, who's spent an awful lot of time in the New Jersey cricket scene. He came up in 2009. He was the MVP of the U.S. Under-19 National Championships, was, I think, the leading run scorer. Then a year later, he was in the USA men's team as an off-spin bowler. When he transitioned to senior level, they had a, a need to fill as a spinner. And even though he was primarily a, a heavy run scorer at junior level in the Atlantic region, the role they needed at the time for the USA men's team was as a spinner. And he could do that. Over the course of his career, he's still in, I know in club cricket in New Jersey, he still opens the batting in a lot of places. And he's still, if you talk to Muhammad Gauss, he still thinks of himself yeah. uh, definitely more as a batsman. But when it comes to the national team, he was used as a spinner. Mm -hmm. So so in that regard for yourself, what has the 
transition been like for you from a mental standpoint in terms of how you approach things because yeah for most of your life and most of your career development in New Jersey you've focused primarily on your batting but just so happens your ticket into the national team on the men's side is through your leg spin well I was always always gonna be grateful for my leg spin going in as a leg spinner was pretty shocking to me because I was like mostly self-taught as a leg spinner I never really had anyone teach me or talk to me a lot about Lexman as much as like my batting as like coaches and a lot of other people helped me with my batting technically, mentally and everything. But Lexman was always something I believe that was just natural for me. I actually started off Lexman because of Coach Pubudu. I used to be a fastballer with some weird action of jumping off the wrong foot. Define weird action. Were you chucking or were you doing other weird no, stuff? No, no, I just like this, like coming in from the side. It was really weird. And Coach Pobudu knew that I would injure myself if I if I keep doing that. And it will really affect my batting if I keep bowling like that because my back is going to be really messed up. And from the way I'm bowling, it can really be effective as a leg spinner. So Coach Pobudu turned me into a leg spinner. That was the best decision in my life. Can't thank him more than nothing than that. So you've only been bowling leg spin then for how long? Three, four years? Two years. I'd say two and a half years. Two and a half years bowling leg spin. And if you say you're self-taught, what's the key then? I mean, have you been watching a lot of YouTube videos or other stuff to kind of self-teach? No, I feel like I've been going in the nets uh, when I'm bowling to people. And I had a natural googly. So there was there were stages where I had a stage where I wasn't even able to bowl a leg spinner, where everything would just come out naturally as a googly. And then that's where I had like I was just like testing with myself, seeing like, oh, what works with what was what. So it took me like hours and hours in the nets, basically just bowling and spot bowling to find what I could do with myself, basically, and what works for well. And what does work well for you in your eyes? Rhythm having a nice good rhythm nice to run up and staying um like not rushing yourself because when you're rushing yourself i have a really good tendency to always just keep rushing myself there's a lot of like videos where even in nationals where you see me literally running back to my crease ready to bowl and that was a big issue because i wouldn't be like looking at my field or anything or i'll be rushing myself when my hand speed will come too quick uh, too quick and then i'll bowl short or anything so i feel like for a leg spinner uh, having a good rhythm and a good speed going through your run up really helps the momentum of coming out from the ball coming out of your hand. All right. What's your dream wicket scenario? Are you looking for bold LBW, right hand, left hand? Uh, the most satisfaction I get from a wicket is probably right hander coming in. I'm bowling a googly and goes right to the gate bold. That's, that's the most satisfying like thing I can get. Just the best feeling in the world. Coming up, in terms of achieving that best feeling in the world, Mm -hmm. you could have some opportunities for that in Texas. You've got eight ODIs, potentially, that you could be playing for USA. First, coming up, the two matches against Scotland, May 28th and 29th, at facility at Musa Stadium in Pearland. It's going to be hosting the first ever ODIs in the state of Texas. It's going to be an exciting occasion. Mm -hmm. So what are you most looking forward to about the opportunity, whether it comes against Scotland in those first two ODIs, UAE, or later on in the subsequent dry series against Nepal and Oman, what are you most looking forward to about the opportunity within those series? Well, my plan or idea is to go, it's a 50 over game. It's not 
T20. So it's a different approach that I need to take to the game where in 50 overs, I need to look to be a lot more economical. So going in, not just going straight for wickets, but going and looking to contain because going in into 50 overs, looking for wickets, you are, you will get wickets, but sometimes it's hard to contain the runs. So going in, I'm going to be looking to um, contain a lot of runs and then the wickets will come from there trying to contain runs. That's my approach to going into the 50 overs. There's not an awful lot of 50 over cricket played domestically in the USA. Obviously there's none in New Jersey and there's very little elsewhere in the country. The opportunity to get a chance to play those 50 over matches as part of the major league cricket challenge series that was organized in Houston in April at Prairie View offered an opportunity for that. What did you learn from those matches in terms of how to approach 50 over bowling and just, again, the opportunity in those games to help maintain your spot in the overall USA setup, getting a, a chance to parlay the success from the T20I squad to then have an opportunity to be selected in the ODI squad coming off those matches in the Challenge Series in Texas. Coming off those matches, I think my approach was a lot more different as what I'm going into these 50 overs going for. In that approach, I went going straight for wickets, and that's why I leaked a lot of runs also. That approach really changed, and now going into the, uh, the series with a different approach, I think will work a lot better. But just in general, in terms of testing yourself against some of the guys who were part of those MLC squads, you've got guys who were USA teammates in some instances who were scattered around the squads, but also you faced some pretty elite players, whether it was a lot of the guys who come out of first-class cricket in other countries, whether it's Pakistan or South Africa or, or India. But and again, you look at through the rosters, you had guys like Unmo Chand and Shadley Van Skalvik and Sami Aslam and you know, even a bowling against you know a guy like Sai Mukamala, who was not part of the USA squad, but Sai was very difficult to bowl to for a lot of people in those games. So just in terms of the standard of competition to help you prepare for this ODI series, what was that opportunity like for you and what benefit did you get out of it it definitely gave me an idea of basically like I said what approach I need to come at to like because I'm I need to come with a new approach bowling to these guys especially uh bowling on turf rickets it gave me a really great idea of where I need to bowl especially bowling to higher quality batsmen so bowling on the turf it gave me a great idea of where and what lengths what speed and what field I need to have also just in general, the opportunity to potentially get an ODI debut on U.S. soil in Texas, what does that mean to you? I guess it's a dream come true. <laughs> um, I never really thought the day would really like just come. Everything really happened in a blink of an eye. I'm just really excited to see it come. Is your dad or your brother or anybody else in your family going to chance, get a chance to come out to Texas at all, considering the fact that it's Memorial Day weekend, the, the first part of the series, and potentially some other weekend opportunities, the way the schedule is panning out, where it could offer an opportunity to come out on a Friday and get back home by Monday morning, um, if that is there? Yeah, I think for the second series, most of my family will be there, especially family from Texas, some family from Canada. And then most of my Jersey family should also be there. So that should be pretty exciting seeing them in the in this audience. <laughs> so you'll get quite a lot of support. It's not just you, yeah. the people in New Jersey. What is it going to mean to you to be able to play in front of family, not just play for USA in front of 
fans in general, like you said, you got an opportunity to do in Florida, but to be able to play in front of your family and friends who are going to be there to support you now that, now that they've got more than 24 hours notice, you're not, not just at the last minute getting a call a couple of days before Christmas, they've got some time to prepare and wrap their heads around organizing travel plans and taking some time off. So now that they've, they've got the opportunity to do that, what's it going to be like for you to be able to have family around and be able to get a chance to play in front of them? I'm really not trying to like think about it too much, but I feel like when I'm going like in the moment or on the ground, I feel like it will be a little bit nerve wracking, but I feel like just as what happened in Florida after I need to just like find a way where I'm just going to stay calm and stay in the game, just like Florida happened. But I think it's going to be pretty, pretty nerve wracking, I guess. So are you, are you going to tell them after this? uh, Hey, please don't come stay at home, stay in New Jersey. Don't come. No, 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 no. I want them to come. It'll be, it'll be nice. It'll be a good experience. Great experience. Not just Great. good. It's an amazing opportunity, an amazing experience. So yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. He's going to go and do my best. And we'll see. 100%. Hopefully, we'll see a lot more of the other players, too, get some family and friends support and a whole lot of other fans in general who are based in Texas, outside of Texas. It's a great opportunity CUSA play on home soil against some pretty good teams. You've got guys in the Scotland setup and the Scotland team just fresh off the T20 World Cup that they advanced to in UAE going to the main draw this past year in October in the UAE. And then Sandy Blamichani and the Nepal team who's played in franchise leagues around the world and some of the other elite players in the other squads, whether it's UAE or Oman as well. There's some fantastic talent across the board that USA is going to have their hands full competing against and it's going to make for some great cricket. So by all means, everybody come on down to Musa Stadium starting May 28th. That's when the first of USA's eight ODIs is going to be played as part of these two tri-series. There's going to be 12 matches in all as part of the tri-series, but USA features an eight out of the 12. That runs from May 28th to June 15th in Pearland, Texas at Musa Cricket Stadium. So by all means, come on down and check out not just Yasser Muhammad, but the rest of the squad. The guys outside of New Jersey, they're going to need some love and support too. It's not just yeah. about the Garden State. Time for the favorite 11. Yasser, 11 questions, cricket and non-cricket. You ready to rock and roll? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Your favorite roommate on any cricket tour? Can I mention multiple or no? Favorite one, senior. Come on. You got you, you can you can mention a couple, but you gotta narrow it down by the end. You gotta pick one out of the group you're gonna name. It's either Rahman, Sai, or Rithvik, but I've room more with Rahman. So probably Rahman Dar. You gotta give some payback there. You know, Rahman Dar, he's the one he named you when he was on the show here. He said favorite roommate, Yasser Muhammad. Gotta give the shout out. So you're just returning the favor. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd honestly say it's probably Ramon, because I've always been rooming with him, and, like, we're pretty good boys. So I'd, I'd say Ramon. Your favorite thing about New Jersey, what makes Garden State special more than any other state in the country? The competitive cricket here. <laughs> Not the diners? No love for the 24-7 diners? I'm shocked. I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, I only halal here, so, like, it's kind of hard to find all that. So there's no, no halal love on the, on the Greek diner menus. That is true. I can understand that. Okay. Uh, Your favorite thing to do to pass the time on a long haul flight. For me, I find trouble to sleep on a plane. So I'll either be watching a show or just listening to music and yeah, (laughs) or a movie or something. 
your favorite cricket ground experience that you've had as a player? My best experience would probably be the under-19 nationals in the finals, where beforehand I literally went to coach Coach Darlow and I picked out, like, I'm going to get Ramon out. I'm going to get Ali out. And then they'll still show you. And then that's exactly what happened. So that was a pretty crazy experience. So you'd have to put Prairie View as your, your venue. Mm-hmm. Prairie View. Prairie View is where the magic happens for Yasser Muhammad. Your favorite cricketer of all time? As a leg spinner, probably Rashid Khan. Rashid Khan or Imran Tahir. Or even, I've been watching recently Sandeep Lomachani. Even him, he's a really good leg spinner. If you had to pick one. Rashid Khan. Yeah. Your favorite non-cricket athlete of all time? Trey Young. Trey Young in basketball. Now that's a new one. Now, now, now you're showing your age. No more Michael Jordan answers or stuff like that. Trey Young. Yeah. Because I just love his attitude towards the game. He's just like a, he's like a villain. Just the attitude he has. Always like trying to prove people wrong. Just based off performances, you know. I just love his attitude towards the game. Just as an athlete. Your favorite place to eat out on tour away from home? Chick-fil-A, definitely. Follow-up, what's your menu item on the Chick-fil-A menu? Waffle fries. <laughs> because I can't eat much, like, I can't eat, like, meat, right? So now that's how we know you hang out with Rahman Dar, because yeah. that was his answer, you too. Always, always get Chick-fil-A. You and Rahman. That's exactly what we do. I love it. Your favorite beverage? Go-to Coke. 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 Can't, yeah. You can't beat the real thing, Yasser. I know I've got the right guy on the show. Your favorite pizza topping? Oh, I'm a cheese type of guy. I just go with plain cheese pizza. Another man after my own heart. A, a, a charter member. We got another member to be included in the Kevin McAllister Cheese Pizza Club. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. What's what's your go-to then place for cheese pizza? Are, are you a, a local mom and pop loyalists or are you a chain guy Domino's or Papa John's or you know what's your preferred cheese pizza option so I literally have a pizza place right here not even two minutes away we've been eating pizza from for like years now it's like New York style pizza uh named Vinny's Pizza that's how you know you're from New Jersey you get a local pizzeria none of this chain nonsense yep. you, you got to go to a, a local family-run place they'll give you the best pizza anywhere in New York New Jersey for real your favorite movie of all time? Avengers Endgame. Of all the Avengers movies, Endgame. Is yeah. your, why Endgame? Because it was such like a, people didn't think the moment was going to, I don't want to, I don't want to like spoil anything, but I guess everyone watched it by now, but. I haven't, uh, I'm, still, I'm late to the party. You haven't watched it? I was just about to spoil it right now. Oh my God. It's basically a really big turning point in the end. That's why. An unexpected turning point where not many superhero movies have that's why next time i'm on a plane i'll have to check it out i guess all yeah. right last one your favorite show to binge watch whether it's netflix hulu amazon prime paramount plus or dvd box set what's the thing that is your go-to to help you pass the time recently i just started watching a show called top boy so probably that one where is it uh top boy on netflix it's about um so like in the UK, like thug kind of environment where you basically see everything with like people with accents going on, like gangs and stuff. It's pretty interesting. So. There you have it. Yasser Muhammad, 
who made his T20I debut for USA against Ireland in December and now is on the verge of making his ODI debut, just 19 years of age, against one of Scotland, UAE, Nepal, Ramon. We don't know when it's going to happen, but the expectation is it's going to happen at some point over the course of May or June in the course of those eight matches against those opponents that USA will be competing against in the pair of ODI tri-series. It's going to be held at Paraland, Texas at Moosa Cricket Stadium, May 28th, June 15th. Yasser Muhammad, thanks so much for coming on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. We'll give you the final word. Anything else you want to say about your cricket journey or anything else about you that people might not know that you want them to know about you? No, I think that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you and good luck for the upcoming series. Thank you. Thanks again to Yasser Muhammad, who you want to keep an eye on over the course of the next few weeks. He's going to make his ODI debut at some point against one of those four teams that's going to be touring Texas. It's going to be a great opportunity for Yasser to make a big splash on the international stage right on home soil. So by all means, come on down south to Pearland. It's not too far a drive from downtown Houston. And if you're outside of Texas... Don't hesitate to fly down. There's still time to get plane tickets. There's still time to get match day tickets. They've capped capacity at 2,500 for the matches, but there's still plenty of tickets left. So by all means, get down to the Lone Star State, get down to Houston, get down to Pearland, Texas to support Yasser and to support the rest of the USA national team in those eight ODIs. They'll be playing from May 28th to June 15th. I want to remind everybody to please go to patreon.com. I love all the patriots who support the podcast. Everything you guys do to contribute helps keep the podcast running on an episode-by-episode basis. And I also want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM if you like the audio version, or subscribe on YouTube if you like watching the video version. That's it for this episode. I'm Peter Delapena reminding everybody... God bless America, and God bless American cricket.